This episode of You Should Hear This is sponsored by Visit Evansville. Events, culture, world-class venues, and accommodations, it's all within reach in Evansville, Indiana. Bursting from the bend of the Ohio River on the southern tip of the state, Evansville has all the amenities of a big city while offering a unique blend of Hoosier hospitality and southern charm. Evansville is conveniently located near several metropolitan cities, so we're easy to get to. Think big city adventures without the big city hassle. With 45 unique meeting and event facilities and over 3,900 sleeping rooms, we're the perfect destination for your next meeting or convention. Connectivity is effortless with Old National Events Plaza, the Ford Center, and the full-service Doubletree Hotel by Hilton Skybridge Connection, providing everything you need under one roof. Downtown Evansville boasts over 850 sleeping rooms, so your event and conference hotel needs are all served within seven blocks of Old National Events Plaza. Looking for something to do at the end of the convention day? Evansville offers over 25 museums and art galleries, along with local nightlife, eateries, and breweries to satisfy even the most adventurous foodie or particular conventioneer. Budget still recovering from lost revenues throughout the pandemic? The Visit Evansville sales team offers exclusive incentives to all ISAE members. Submit your next RFP at visitevansville.com and let us welcome you to our bend on the Ohio. Hello, and welcome to You Should Hear This, a podcast for the everyday association professional. I'm Nick Estrada, your host. I'd like to take a moment and also welcome you to season two. We took the summer off, and I hope you did too, but we're ready to sit down and chat with our guests about how we can think differently about our work, discuss challenges, and come up with new ideas and solutions. As we kick off our second season, we sit back and think, what are the fundamentals of any workplace? Is it the mission, our board and volunteers? Or likely you're thinking, of the word culture. Workplace culture and all it brings to the table is important for association professionals to monitor and develop. After all, it's one of the main reasons employees will leave their current workplace. So what can we do to support workplace culture? Our guest speaker today, Liesl Murtis, will be able to help us navigate our workplace culture by dealing with coworkers who may be going through hard times, returning to work from virtual or from home full-time, emotional fatigue, and much more. She's the founder of Handle With Care, and an acclaimed workplace empathy expert. Having experienced her own loss and struggle, Liesl emerged with a deep understanding of what employees need to feel supported at work after a disruptive life event. She works with groups that wanna boost employee satisfaction as well as attract and retain better talent. Liesl earned a bachelor's degree in political science and a master's degree in business administration. She's worked in Nairobi, consulted in Fiji, and led cohorts in Ghana. Her adventures brought her to Indiana where she's a proud mother, wife, and lover of time spent on the water. Welcome, Liesl. It's really good to be with you. And we are excited to have you here with us today. I think to talk about a really important topic, right? Um, I think we were talking just a little bit ago off microphone about just the process of returning to work that we're seeing a lot of folks that are, are having that now. And I think this is a, a good time to have this conversation. But before we get into all of that, do you mind just telling us a little bit about who you are, how you got to do the kind of work that you do, and and why you find passion in that? I'd love to. I am a I'm a wife. I'm the mother of five children, uh, four of whom are still living. So we just got them off to school yesterday. And congratulations on a thank successful you, school. Thank you. It is a major undertaking. <laughs> it is to get everybody out. 
the door. And I think somebody still was missing some school supplies, but <laughs> I did my best. I love the work that I get to do. So um, working with Workplace Empathy is something that is deeply rooted in my own personal story. Uh, just yesterday, I was actually doing some consulting work back in Bloomington, where I got my MBA. And I remember it was now almost 12 years ago, and I was in this program that was all about you know, developing the skills to manage people. And it was during that time that our daughter, Mercy Joan, um, she's our third of five. She was born and died just eight days later. And I, there's so many layers to that. Uh, which we might touch on today, but also it was this impetus into looking structurally at the sorts of programs and ways that we equip leaders in the workplace. And I realized there was just this major gap. We weren't talking about how we support people in the midst of disruption. We were maybe hoping that it would happen and relying on a couple of personality-based people. And so that was the seed of what later on down the line um, became Handle with Care Consulting, where I believe that empathy and connection, they are skill sets that we can and should be developing across our workforces. They're not just um, personality-based things that some people can opt out of. And if the last two and a half years have shown us anything, it's how much we all need it and the deep impact when it's there or when it's lacking. Yeah, I think the the piece there at the very end that you just said of right when it's lacking, I think we've seen a lot of that in some of our office cultures or our workplaces over the last couple of years that I think made people really think more about, we maybe we do actually have to talk about some of those things and really keep those things in mind. Right, you could see it if you're, active on LinkedIn, you know, kind of the fiery why I left posts mm-hmm. of, you know, they are the worst. But I, I also try to cast an aspirational vision. When you hear, when you read posts, when you hear from people, the testimonies, like literally just yesterday, there was someone who she has had a horrible six-week stretch with a diagnosis for her, a seizure for her daughter, her husband having to go in for an emergency procedure. And she said, you would not believe my workplace, the time they've given me, the way they have checked in, this is just the best. I can't believe I'm so fortunate to work here. And like that sort of halo culture, like that's not the reason you do it, but it's profound. And there were like, you know, 10,000 people who had liked and supported it. We Mm -hmm. want it. And it has an impact. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. I was just talking with a friend last night and, you know, he was kind of sharing, we had not caught up in probably five months and he was kind of sharing what had happened almost weeks after we had just talked um, the last time. And it's a lot, right? A lot of things that have come up and similar. He was like, I just started a new job and I, you know, I, I hadn't told them, um, but then when I did, they were the most supportive I, I they could have ever been. And that's, that's been really meaningful. And so I think both of those hopefully instances, right. Showcasing why this is such an important conversation for those of us who can impact our, our workplace or, you know, our cultures to have these, these kinds of conversations as we, you know, I think we're in a lot of different places in terms of returning to work. And I think that's where this culture is becoming a big part of the conversation, right? Because if we if we have been working virtually or, you know, we've been work from home for a long time, I feel like a lot of, and, and I think this is especially true if we look at like big corporate worlds, not even associations, right? It was, we have to get people back in the office because we're losing out on this workplace culture. And that's really important to us. You know, and then I remember seeing some of the tweets, right, that would come out around that time. And it was like the workplace culture. And they would like show a picture of their cubicle with like no photos. Um, there's nobody in my office to talk to. Right. Like it's sterile. But that was workplace culture. And right. That brought me back. Um, so thinking right that we're all in these like different places um, in terms of returning. What's what's what do we need to keep in mind as we might start that transition or even if we've 
even if we're back, what do we need to continue to think about as we um, explore kind of this post-pandemic timeframe for, for workplace culture? I'm going to come at that question from an unexpected angle, which is talking about my observations from a day on the streets of, of Tanzania which goes like this, I, because you sent me this question, like, what is workplace culture? And, and I, I was wanting like a really pithy, like two sentence sort of a thing. <laughs> but I think it's most helpful to talk about just culture in general. I have had the privilege of traveling. And I can remember one time uh, we are, we lived in East Africa for a while, and we are in a new city, and we've never arrived there. And they're like, we were trying to get to our Airbnb and I had this little baby who needed diapers because we had neglected to pack diapers, which was uh, a horrible oversight at that <laughs> stage of life. And so my husband went to the Airbnb and I set off walking to try to find diapers. And we were in this very, I, I didn't even realize it. It was a very Islamic part of the city. And we're trying, I'm trying to find a store and everything has suddenly shut down. It's the middle of the day. Nothing is open. No one is there. Uh, I don't have a map. I don't have anything. And it was because it was, it was like the time for prayer and everybody mm. was gone. It was all of these unexpected like rules and norms. I didn't feel like I even knew how to get back to, um, to my hotel, there was a language barrier. There were all of these aspects where it's like when you are in a culture, it is the it's the practices, the unsaid things, the the rules that people seem to know. And it's not so much like what appears in your employee handbook. Okay, so so how does that translate back into the understanding of workplace cultures? Our workplace cultures are Taco Tuesdays or our employee resource group and their meetings. It is a way of being and practices that percolates through and is understood and grasped and valued. There's buy-in from you know people around, and it's it's it is a fabric that makes people say, "This is our way. This is why we want to stay. This is what we do." And that can be how you run meetings. That can be how you navigate parental leave. But um, it's it's not just something that you can check the box like I have now done culture. It's something that <laughs> it's that requires, finished. yeah, paying attention and maintenance and actually checking in and asking like, "How do you experience our culture?" Because it changes over time. Mm -hmm. It changes from outside sources. So. I don't know if that is the most helpful definition, but culture is the constantly emergent reality of what everyone experiences as the commonalities that bring people together or fail to. And yeah, it requires looking at and tending to. And as people are coming back, they're asking what needs to stay, what was essential for culture that was sticky and important. And what actually is an invitation to ponder better practices or things that actually could be more representational of our values? Because sometimes we can romanticize like what, what pre-pandemic culture was like. And, and like those photos show, sometimes it was just the, the default of what we've done mm -hmm. for the last 10 years and we baptize it as culture and say, that was so great. And we can see this moment as an invitation to consider something even better. Yeah, you mentioned there, right? It's the constant kind of emergent of our values and and kind of what's there. So I take from that, right? Like it's it's changing all the time as you have new employees who are coming in, right? They're adding to the culture or when people leave, right? Either they could be subtracting from some of the culture, right? If they were a part of building a lot of that. How do we 
are there like some key things that we can focus on as that culture changes, right? So as I look out at my my office and my team, is there something I can say, okay, these might be some of the key, as you mentioned, checking in, right? Are these some of the key check-in questions I should be asking people um, about our culture so that I can make it better, that I can make it a more representative of uh, kind of the values of my association? This gets to a little bit of um, what people are starting to do more, which is stay interviews. Like, why mm. why are you still here? How are you? Not just exit interviews, but actually building that into your practices. Why are people staying? What are things that they're really enjoying? What do you want to do more of? What do you look forward to most in uh, the course of a given week? What is the most draining some aspect of that should probably be able to be done anonymously if you really want to get like the the nitty gritty of the stuff people are afraid to say. But it also should be built into some of the rhythms of those check-ins as it comes to just getting a pulse on where people are in general. And this relates to cultivating a culture of care and empathy. Something that I really like, it's one of the stickiest things, even in yesterday's session, always at the end, I'm like, what's one thing you're going to take away? People love the stoplight check-in. It's easy. It's easy to remember. It's a great tool to just be building into before you jump on a call, before you start a team meeting. You have everybody gauge their energy, red, yellow, green, just like with your car. Red (laughs) is, I'm here, but it's hard. Got a lot going on. You, You don't even, you don't have to extrapolate. You could mention, you know, I'm red. I have a parent in the hospital. Yellow, yellow was probably me on Wednesday after trying to hustle all of my children (laughs) out the door for the first day of school. Left me a little frazzled the rest of the day. I was yellow. Uh, Green, you know, you're there, you're ready, you've got a lot of energy. And just even building that into the dynamics gets better information that serves you across a number of different reasons and also speaks to the emergent sense of culture. Culture is both what we do internally. It's also shaped by what people are experiencing externally and bringing to the office and whether or not they are met in that or feeling like they're constantly having to shove that to the side and pretend that it doesn't exist and then manifesting the stress in their other encounters or in their bodies and all kinds of things. Yeah, I really do like that that stoplight kind of activity. And I think it's a great I'm going to say like a low level it doesn't feel, I don't know that invasive is the right word, but it doesn't feel invasive, right? It, it feels just easy to respond to. And as you mentioned, I can, I can go as in depth as I'd like to, to share mm-hmm. why I might be feeling that, or I could just say, here's what I'm feeling. And then that still on the other side as the manager, right? Gives me some understanding of like where my team um, or where my employees might be at, which I think is a, is a great way um, to kind of, to kind of hit that. You mentioned something there at the end, though, that I'm interested in. So kind of those like pushing those feelings to the side, Mm. right? Again, we go back to some of these like Twitter or LinkedIn updates. And I don't know if you feel this, but I I feel like a lot of the times when I see these big like I'm leaving and here's why and here's the situation that came up and I can't believe my, you know, my employer responded this way and blah, blah, blah. I'm out. I think a lot of those are those buildups, right? They've had so many of these miniature situations, or in some cases, right, very big situations that have just built on each other. And I've not really had a chance to discuss those or to air those out. Um, And I get to this point where like this big thing happens now, and now I'm done. And I feel like employers sometimes are like, I can't believe they left over this, this one incident. But really, it's been a pattern, right? It's been like this long standing issue. Um, I don't know that I have a question in there, just more 
that, let me, that kind let of triggered me for me. Let me resonate with the statement. Uh, there's always a power dynamic that exists in the office. And I'll tie what you said also to something like the stoplight check-in. There can be a de facto posture by leadership, by management, that that what it what it radiates is we're we're doing the job, we're doing the productivity, we're doing the thing. Please don't let anything distract from it. And I'm going to interpret anything that that compromises you or makes you less than like optimally ready to produce every single day as uh, something to be pushed to the side. And people will respond to that. People will. So in a stoplight check-in, when a manager actually is able to give their own, like, I'm not always green. In fact, I had a yellow day. It's a little bit hard for me to show up in my eighth Zoom meeting too. It creates the space of like, oh, we can acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, even I, I think it was Mr. Rogers in that great documentary. It's like, what can what can be named can be addressed. He said it better. I think it even rhymed <laughs> when he said it. But what I hear, like, even in, in my own podcast, um, so season one is all about people experiencing different types of disruption. There was one interview that actually, it, it was like so personal and raw with this individual that it never actually got produced. But the background is he eventually had a son that died of um, a bad a bad batch of drugs and a drug overdose. But as this man was talking about the journey, this was like a number of years that played out in this young man's life. And the dad was working and traveling a whole bunch. And there were a couple of interactions where the father was trying to tell his manager, like, this is really hard. My son is struggling. I am struggling. I'm not okay. And whether that was over dinner, it was over a period of like, a year and a half. And, and this manager just missed it. He just missed him. He was like, well, everybody's going through something like that or pivoted to talking about a project. And it, it had been so vulnerable and he hadn't been able to, and when he did and he felt unmet, he was just like, I knew, you know, mm-hmm. what he said, I knew I would be punished for this. So fast forward, he's, he's feeling like, I can't talk to you about this. I'm just going to be, but this is not safe. And he's having to hold all of this as his home life is falling apart and he's trying so hard to be a good dad. And he finally has a presentation, like a big presentation. And whatever happens, he feels attacked in the midst of that, which triggers just feeling unsupported in general. He has what appears to other people as like this catastrophic blow up, like, Mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, what's wrong with you? Like you, you, he ends up being fired over it. This is a super unfortunate situation through and through. You can just look at the end and be like, that was inappropriate. You can't raise your voice in meetings. Mm -hmm. That termination is absolutely correct. But if you look at the steps leading up to it, now, does that excuse that? Does that make it okay? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there was a context that, man, there was a loss of a lot of institutional knowledge. There was mm-hmm. a loss of somebody who had been there. Like that's a true cost of the company. Like they had, they've lost that knowledge. They have to recruit. They have to retain. That's at least a third of that guy's salary, if not more in a time that's hard to recruit. And it's like, if he could have felt better supported would that end had to have looked like that, his right. blow up of like, you don't care. Nobody's care. Ugh. And I hear that, you know, a lot. Uh, it's, it's like, it's like looking at a car 
that whose engine explodes on the side of the highway and being like, man, that stinks. That engine exploded. Guess I just have to buy a new car and being like, well, did you blow past all the warning <laughs> lights? Did you ever take it in? You know, did it run out of gas? It's like, we give more attention to our vehicles of being like, I should pause over this. This is an important moment with my vehicle than we do to the people we work with. Yeah. I, Yeah. Now that has been just me thinking about all the kinds of interactions I've had, right. Even with people that I have supervised in the past of like, wow, the pressure that I have gotten right from above to then produce are the things that I have to push down to my team. And so it's like, oh gosh, when were there times that I didn't check in with a team member now um, and, and really talk through some of those things. So I think, yeah, just a good time to pause. I think for everybody, right. Like just, can we take that extra couple minutes and just, see how folks are doing and really listen. I think that's always, I think in today's day and age with especially work from home where it's a lot easier to look to my other screen now and check on something or, Oh, look, that email came in or, and I think when it was like just cell phones, I could, you know, I could set that face down on the table next to me because now we're physically talking, but now it's like, Oh, I could, I could be looking at it. And you're like, you probably may not even, I mean, you know, I'm looking at it, but like, <laughs> I don't, you can't, you can't see it, yes. in this, you know, in the screen kind of a thing, but yeah, I don't know. That's good I, stuff. I go out of my way. So even, even yesterday, I have a slide that went up that said, you are not sneaky. We all know what you're doing as referring to what happens mediated through Zoom. Like everybody knows when your eyes go down mm -hmm. and just practicing that. I tell people to over communicate. Maybe you do have, you know, I, I had somebody who was like, but actually I have another monitor and I am listening, but over communicate about that. I'm looking yep. at my other monitor while still participating. I, I take notes all the time. I hold up my notebook. I'm like, I just don't want you to think I'm looking at my phone. Yeah. Here's my notebook. Um, and just to practice the discipline, because it's not like you can say, well, I'll put my phone aside or I won't multitask in a moment where somebody actually is sharing something important. All the other mm -hmm. times I can't. Like if people think you're not paying attention, they're not actually going to tip into the thing, their anxiety about the client deliverable, where they actually don't mm -hmm. think that they're competent and they're just, you know, papering over it or something that's going on in their life. So it's important. Let me speak also. Something I heard was just that sense of like, oh no, maybe, maybe I've missed it with somebody. We have all, we have all missed it with people. I teach this stuff and I am regularly being like, oh no, I was, <laughs> I, you know, I use empathy avatars. I'm like, I was that cheer up Cheryl. I was just pushing them to look on the bright side. It's being present and making progress over being perfect. Yeah. And I always encourage people because I can see it in their faces. Even as I'm teaching them, I'm like, hey, here's a better thing to say, or let's look at your processes and procedures. And they're like, oh, no, I did the thing to the person. And maybe it's a week ago, maybe it's six months ago. I encourage them circling back is really powerful. Just going and, and it signals something to you. You are signaling to yourself your intention of who you want to be. And it signals something to someone else. And it's the virtuous work that we collectively do to make culture creation, to circle back and say, you know what, when you shared that thing with me, I was, I was distracted. I was not paying attention to you. And that really inhibited me from responding with the presence that I would have wanted to. I want to let you know, I don't want to do that to you again. And I'm sorry, I would do that differently if I could, you know, yeah. just yeah. even saying that, like that validates for someone 
okay, we're, we're on a journey. This person doesn't want to do that. And it's powerful. Yeah. And it makes it real. You mentioned uh, Mr. Rogers and I, I, I did look up the quote cause I, that I actually oh, did yes, watch, tell me. I did watch that, that documentary and it was uh, it was a great movie. So I always that, recommend that to anybody who's not seen it, but it, he said, anything that's human is mentionable and anything that is mentionable can be more manageable when we can talk about our feelings, they become less overwhelming, less upsetting, and less scary. See, I knew it was more eloquent than my soundbite. <laughs> I'm glad you got that. But you know, you got me to it because I said, I said, if you can name it, Fred Rogers, and then that came up. So that got me enough there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that really does tie in a lot of what I think this concept, right? Get it into words. And if we can talk about it, then it's something we can address. And I think as a manager, I think that's a lot of the things sometimes at least that I think about is like, sometimes I don't want to ask those things because it's like, well, what if I can't help with it? Right. And the answer may be sometimes I can't maybe, right. but just listening and just allowing a team member or somebody else that I know, right. To talk about it, just to even name it means something. And it does. And for someone who's listening to the podcast and like you said that in such a, such a calm, you know, like podcast friendly voice, and it sounds like we can step into it. I do want to acknowledge it is scary for people because they have been mishandled in the past when they've shared something, maybe they've mishandled it. Maybe they're just so anxious. They're like, I'm not good at this. I know I'm not good at it. There are a couple of things that really get in the way. I want to say something to make it better. And I can't, or I've got so much going on. Like, what if I drop the ball in this meaningful moment, which is what a lot of my work centers on is just addressing, like I introduce people to what they have in their empathy toolkit, these, these types of response patterns, they're conditioned by personality. They're conditioned by what somebody said to you when you were eight years old at your first funeral and you just keep saying it because you think <laughs> that's what you say when someone dies, like God needed another angel. And, and to realize that we can inhabit like this fix it Frank energy where we just want to make things better or buck up Bobby, where we're just task focused or cheer up chair. And once you know the places that you tend to slot, like for me, I know that in certain situations, like I'm going to be a commiserating Candace. Like if somebody tells me about their experience with having a child in the hospital, like my youngest has had to have open heart surgery, it would be super easy for me to totally hijack that whole story and to be like, oh, I know I've been to Riley Children's Hospital and they have, and suddenly like I totally center myself. And that there is a way that we can keep skilling up and learning about ourselves, which makes us better for other people that we can keep improving in these dynamics. But even just for listeners, if you have some of that apprehension of like, I don't want to make it worse. I don't know what to say. Two notes. You don't have to make it better. When truly disruptive life events happen, nothing that you say is actually going to make it better. You're not mm -hmm. going to make someone's death or their divorce better by some magic sentence. Let yourself off the hook. And another one just to have in your back pocket too, that like work a lot. I'm sorry you're going through this. It sounds hard or just, I'm not entirely sure what to say, but I want to let you know, I, I care or it sounds hard or I appreciate mm -hmm. you telling me like even that people want to be acknowledged more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great. I think just kind of key things to take away. So thank you for sharing those. You mentioned 
um, just now, a word again that I think you've used several times today in our conversation, empathy, right? Yes. Uh, it's a word you use a lot. Um, and even so much that instead of saying, you know, workplace culture, I've heard you say workplace empathy several times. So, so why is empathy the word that you are, uh, I'm going to say intentionally, because I think you are intentionally choosing that word instead of others. I am. Empathy is an essential step towards compassion, which is meaningful action that moves the needle. And it's really important to cultivate in the workplace. The data continues to show that empathetic leaders that can imagine, that can take the time to pause and ask how other people are feeling, how this is affecting our clients or our constituents, makes them better. It makes them more effective. And I'll, I'll come back around to exactly what it is, but even just to say some of those data points, I, for anyone who's listening, Business Solver does the workplace empathy um, survey. They've done it for six to eight years. It's across a ton of different industries. They gather great data. And um, in a recent survey, it was 76% of respondents said that the presence or absence of empathy was directly linked to their productivity. That in a recent one, it was more than half of CEOs, I think, had no idea even what their workplace benefits were when, like, even if they had them. There's all these data points of like people, they want more of this, they're not feeling like they're getting it and how it moves in the needle. But empathy is that step of asking what emotions might be underpinning what this person is experiencing right now. It's Brene Brown has a great definition. It's not connecting to an experience. You don't have to have gone through the same thing because lots of times we think, oh my gosh, I've never lost a parent. I've never gone through a divorce. I have no idea what that's like. That's experience focused. Instead of thinking what emotions could be at play here, it's connecting to those. Okay. Someone going through a divorce, what might they be feeling? They might be Mm -hmm. feeling sad or angry or abandoned. And I have felt those things. And that gets me closer to being able to take that step towards meaningful support. Some people call compassion action that matters because the workplace is not, it's not like we, we suddenly are stripped of our emotions each day, like being disinfected, going, you know, through to some laboratory of like, I'm no longer carry all these emotions <laughs> right. of my outside work life. Mm-hmm. I had a fight They're with my connected. spouse this morning, but now that I'm at work, I'm fine. everything's fine. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. <laughs> yes. Those are some of the worst days I have experienced those days that fighting with the spouse mornings yeah, yeah. then having to still have a meet actually. And it affects you. We don't have to go there, but on the level of brain science, like, to be able to experience someone's uh, empathy, their connection, it actually changes our moods. It allows for the free flow of information that gets cut off when we are emotionally flooded between our prefrontal cortex and our fight and flight area. Our moods are contagious. They activate our mirror neurons, which when they're moving towards being calm can actually like reintegrate us and stabilize us. And actually, you know, as it connects to the bottom line, like allow people after that morning where they fight with their spouse to come in and actually be able to like answer emails and things like that. So it's, it's powerful. Yeah. I like the kind of the phrasing you use there from Brene about, right? Like it's, it's kind of identifying those emotions that are tied to that situation. Because again, I think that is where, even if we have been through something similar, right? Like you mentioned, right? Like I've not had the death of a parent, but if, if I have, and somebody, and I'm talking to somebody else who's now experiencing that, 
even the way they are losing that is not the same as the way I'm losing a parent, right? And so, although I may think I know what they're feeling, right? I may not, right? And so I think that I like that concept of let me name the emotions that that person might be feeling and have I felt those emotions? And if so, what does that look like? I think that's a great, I'm going to say logical, even though we're talking about emotions here, but like a way to break that down, right? To say like, to make it not seem so hard to approach that conversation and to give yourself some grace in that conversation as well. Well, and I like the the reference to even the word logic, breaking it down, because sometimes people who self-identify as like, I'm a very rational, logical person. This is not my area of strength or my skill set. That's that's a big part of how and why I teach. Okay, let's talk about objections. Let's talk about data points. Let's talk about conceptual frameworks. Because if we really do, and it is, want to contextualize and frame it as this is a skill set you can grow in, giving people like, okay, I can understand this is a bad, this is a suboptimal behavior. I'm going to do this behavior instead. Actually, um, in post-session surveys, like the people that come out the most encouraged are the ones who conceptualize of themselves as being like, I can't do it. I'm not good at it at all. And instead being like, okay, I, I have a better understanding and I don't want to be a jerk. I don't want to miss people. So I'm going to put in some better practices and that's going to help me. Like, yeah. instead of saying, take all the time you need, be able to propose like a really specific amount of time take 72 hours and then we'll check in because nobody actually means take all the time you need. And it is mm-hmm. actually confusing to the person who's going through <laughs> something hard right. because they know you don't mean it, but they don't know how much time they really have. And it's stressful for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think this gets us into kind of a realm um, that I did want to make sure we talked about today, which is I'm not going to say some people love emotional conversations, but I think they might find them more to their kind of their their wheelhouse, right? They're like, I, I can totally lean into these conversations. I'm fine getting into some of the, you know, the touchy feely stuff. But I think there's a lot of folks who that makes them very nervous, right? To get into these conversations. So um, I think we've t- talked about a few things, but like, are there any other specific practices or things that somebody who struggles to tackle emotional conversations or to approach them even, how could they practice some of the things that you've kind of addressed today? Yeah, that's a good question. First, let me just note the the moment to practice empathy and connection is rarely if ever going to come at the time in your schedule where you feel like this, this is marvelous i've had such a relaxing morning there's nothing on my calendar and oh you have a need i'm entirely prepared whether you are um wherever you are on the spectrum of feeling like you have a capacity for this like it'll feel inconvenient. It'll feel like something you have to pause over. It'll feel like something that you have to to pivot your attention towards. Mm -hmm. So just acknowledge that it will feel like that and it will still be something to do. So don't be thrown and being like, oh my gosh, I feel so thrown by this. We, We can't plan for these things. I think that asking the question of how do I tend to show up for, for people in, in the midst of, what feels like an interruption or a, or a disruption or an emotional moment, like some of that act of self-inventory. And, and again, I'll, I'll give them, I'm going to say them just because I think they're sticky and helpful. Uh, do you tend to be a fix it Frank, someone who wants to, when someone shares something with you, 
Uh, I'll give you an example just from my my personal life recently. I had a daughter who I have a daughter who's going into high school and she came back from a social situation and she was like, oh, it was so bad. And I automatically wanted to to problem solve it. (laughs) Well, what if you did this? Well, did you think about this? Are you always fixing things? Are you just wanting to push through and be like not bothered by it? the bucket body, like this distraction. Are you someone who moves into a cheer up energy? Like, well, at least it could be worse. It's always <laughs> darkest before the dawn, a cheer up Cheryl or a commiserating Candace. Do you tend to take, you know, and center the attention on yourself? Even that act of self-knowledge will help you with some practices and you can, you know, don't do it in a flooded moment, but ask people that you live with or work with, hey, how do I tend to show up? Because based on those those different orientations, that can give you more of a game plan of, okay, so for me, I know there are certain times where I show up with a fix-it frank energy. I have to think I need to keep paying attention. I, I have a voice in my head that says, it's still not your time to talk. It's still not your time to talk. It's still not your time to talk. I purposefully say, tell me more, tell me more, because I want to just jump in and give a solution. Or I ask, hey, do you want to just share right now? Or are you wanting to problem solve? That gives me better information. So there are steps along the way. Another thing that I would say just a practical way of doing it, um, uh, a tip that I give people is not to say, just let me know how I can help because chances are someone's not going to take you up on that. They've got so much on their plate. They don't want to do a inventory of their week and then have to circle back to you with like a text or things like that. Maybe they ask you to do something that you hate and you don't want to do it. And that's awkward, but to do an inventory of, okay, what are ways that I like to help? And especially in the workplace, lots of times that is like a reallocation of work or helping out on projects. That's Mm -hmm. one of the most basic ways you can be helpful. But do you want to give a gas card? Do you like to bake? Do you are you good at sending funny memes that you lighten the mood? And just know, like, I like doing this. I have a great baked by Melissa. They are a national retailer that Mm -hmm. send really cute little baby cupcakes. I, for someone who's far away, I'll just send them little baby cupcakes. If they're gluten-free, I'll send them the gluten-free ones. (laughs) Just know like, this is what I do and do that. Hey, I'd like to send you some cupcakes. Hey, I'd like to give you a gas card, offer something specific. And that that's that other piece of self-knowledge. Do some work ahead of time to take an inventory. I think still on my website, you can download that for free, like a, Hmm. just a a one page uh, empathy menu of, of things that you want to do or ways you like to show up. And so that's that's another great way as you think about, okay, taking the next step to things and like ways I want to help. Know how to offer something specific. And if someone doesn't want to take you up on it, offer another specific thing, maybe a day or two later, you know, don't take it personally. Yeah. I like those, right? That's just that simple instead of what can I do, which then puts it back on somebody else, right? Who's already stressed about whatever situation they might be going through. Um, but to say, you know, yeah, would it be helpful if I, you know, in terms of work, right? Would it be helpful if I published that thing for you this week, right? right? Um, giving that specific piece that I can do. And, and you know, you mentioned around the fix-it stuff. I used to have um, a supervisor um, and we got to a point, and this was always something I I appreciated because I would come in and I would just start talking about, you know, something that happened with, you know, maybe a, a volunteer or a program we were working on. And she'd say, I'm going to pause you. Are you looking to complain? 
Or are you looking because you want to actually fix it? And I'd be like, today, I'm just looking to complain. She's like, okay, because that helps me know right. how, I sh- how I need to respond. Like, am I just going to listen to you and go, yep, that sounds awful. And then I'd be like, okay, that's all I needed. Bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? um, but those were helpful because it was a good opportunity. Because then if I wanted to just complain, but her response was to fix it, then I would get frustrated because I, I'm like, that's not why I'm here. Right. right? It makes but you want I, to double down on the complaint more. Exactly. No, but if we didn't talk understand. about that, right, there was no good opportunity, I think, to really have that conversation. So that was a really good, um, I think, opportunity. So take that with you as well. That's a way to say it, I think. Um, yep. But all all great stuff. Thank you so much for that. I Can know, I give one, one more tip? Yes, please. Go ahead. Okay. We're talking about perspective taking, imagining emotions that are underneath. Some people come to that like super intuitively. They're like, I do that all the time. I'm I'm on that wavelength. Other people are listening and they're and they're considering and thinking, I do not even know how to begin to do that. I barely know my own emotional moment, let alone other people's. And that's important. That's actually a really important realization and a good place to start from. I was talking to someone who she she said she was like, this is way over my head. I, I'm not there at all. There are some basic steps you can take, even just in the movies that you watch. You know, it's it's great to be caught up in a movie. This will be a little bit annoying if you're like watching a movie with someone on movie night. But whether it's Netflix or anything, take moments to stop at like big emotional moments for the characters. Just press pause and do this little thing. Ask like, I wonder what they're feeling right now why they might be feeling that. Like, just ask yourself, and it it can be 20 seconds, just begin cultivating, like, what more could be going on here? Mm -hmm. It it will prompt a curiosity that will serve you. And that doesn't mean you always get it right, but like, it is a muscle that will grow. The other way, especially, I, I hope that many people listening work in diverse workforces. That is a future for just thriving, diverse perspectives, cultural orientations of all kinds. Uh, Many of us do not have that privilege. And so when we are uh, encountering a perspective different than ours, we're like, I don't know where you're coming from. That seems crazy. Another way is just like watch films or read short stories or read something that is from a different perspective than your own. Mm -hmm. If you think, that person came out of the foster care system. I have no idea what that's like, but it seems to affect them. Like watch, watch like a 10 minute video. The internet's full of them, of somebody, mm-hmm. you know, telling their story. I had a year where I committed to reading non-majority authors of fiction. It was great. It's not like I suddenly understand everything about what it is to be a Ghanaian American, but I've got at least a couple of stories that are a touch point that I can be like, oh yeah, that's that feeling of dislocation that they were talking about. So there are just some enjoyable steps along the way and some great media that can companion you on the journey. Yeah. I love that. Really kind of put you in that kind of outside your comfort zone without physically putting you outside of your right. comfort you, zone. You just get to be a responder. Nobody is watching for right. how you're going to reply to. You can just yeah. take it in. I like that. I'm trying to, there was the, the woman, oh, this is going to be like a worthless podcast moment because I'm not going to come <laughs> up with it, but maybe you can look it up. It's um, she won best supporting actor. It was like uh, a year or two ago. It's, it's a dubbed film, but about, I, I think it's a Korean family who's coming and they're trying to farm. They're trying to make uh, a way of it. Brad Pitt gave her the best supporting actress moment and it like went viral, but it is a fantastic film for that kind of like, just understanding like more of an immigrant perspective. It's maybe one word. 
anyway, oh, for all the I've internet sleuths. Yeah, I was like, I've not done a good <laughs> job this time of finding it, maybe. Um, if we find it. it, we'll put it in the show notes, though. Right, that's um, and good. You guys can take a look at it. So as we start to wrap up, I because uh, we could sit here and talk for hours uh, on this kind of stuff. I I find this topic to be just really intriguing. I know you spoke at the ISE convention, what, just a, a month ago or so. Um, and I, again, I know personally, I, I took a lot from it. I, I appreciated the approach and I think the, the conversation. I also know a lot of others in the room really appreciated the message. And so I, not that you're an association professional, you know, but why, why do you think so many of us within this industry may be really connected with your message? Thank you for asking and for reflecting that experience back to me. Side note, the film is named Minari. I saw it. Minari. Now, now you've got it. I think the best association executives, and you guys do a great job of equipping just some of the best association executives out there. You have a pulse on your people. You're even out a little ahead in being able to see. That's what lets you offer great programs and relevant, impactful things. And you have a sense of the way the conversation is moving within companies. And it's not a new theme, but it's finally been given air to breathe, which is we cannot just produce endlessly without feeling connected to each other and to a mission. And for far too long, we have prompted building connection and care and empathy of being like, well, we have an EAP or we have an HR department and we have not skilled up managers to be able to do it well. And the cracks are showing or the beauty of people who are actually able to deliver on that in the midst of the need. I mean, it's creating such like um, an effective attractional quality. And I think that people who lead organizations and really have their ear to the ground, they know in an intuitive level, and they also know from some of the data points of why people are leaving or why they're staying, that this matters. And so I think it hits uh, it hits a chord there. I think it's also in part because part of our session talked about the effects of compassion and change fatigue. And even as we were talking about returning to work culture, something that I'm seeing, we're recording this mid-year 2022, is that there was a psychological, emotional, social white knuckling that went on when all the changes were fast and furious. I've got to keep my job. We've just got to keep performing. I'm going to be okay. We're going to be okay. That it's not that everything is back to normal, but it's almost what happens when the pressure alleviates a little bit. You can actually take stock of how tired and worn around the edges Mm -hmm. you truly are. And so that I think that feels resonant when we talk in the sessions that we're all grieving right now. We've all gone through a season. Mm -hmm. Grief is unrealized expectations. You have been grieving. Allow yourself to feel that. We are all experiencing change fatigue. It's pretty dang tiring, isn't it? And the moment where everybody's like, it it was, it was. And finally, I think the other part is um, a big part of what I do as a presenter is really give people space to take the content and metabolize it with each other at their tables. And I think that we've all missed the opportunity to be able to talk and do that. I was one part of your great weekend that, uh, well, it was a Sunday to Tuesday, the (laughs) great start of the week that did that. And we are all craving that. And um, conversations, content that allow us to experience one another as other flawed and yet extraordinary people, it connects us on a deeply human level. Yeah, thank you. I, yeah, like I said, I just, I think 
really appreciated the conversation. I think it was a a real one. And I think I would agree when we, when we talked at our tables, I think it was a good opportunity for a lot of us to connect and be like, yeah, we've all felt something like this over the last couple of years. And now we have some words to put to it. Right. Cause I think right. so many of us, it was just, I feel this, but I don't know why. It was, um, it was just a primal scream. Exactly. Yes. Like that wall street journal thing you could call into and just yell. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what we were all feeling there for a while. <laughs> I don't know about that, but now I'm going to go down my own internet rabbit hole <laughs> to read about it. It's pretty funny. I, I appreciated it. Well, and I like that the Wall Street Journal of all things sponsored it because mm-hmm. actually I feel like there are probably a fair number of primal screams located in uh, their readership base. Absolutely. Well, we've had a great conversation today, Liesl. Before we wrap up, I'm just curious if there's any other piece of advice uh, that you know you want to leave with our listeners today um, around this topic. Just going to reiterate, present, not perfect to examine where we can improve, where we can skill up, even even small bits of intention and right steps in the right direction really matter. There is someone that you're probably thinking of right now that you should write their name down. You should put it in your calendar to circle up with them today, a week from now, and just say, I just want to send you a text. I'm thinking of you. I know this is a hard season. Like just the little incremental steps really matter. And yeah, it's it is the good act towards co-creating the communities that we want to be a part of. Especially if you're in leadership, it is a hard ask to have this be a movement from the bottom if they don't feel like their space at the top. Especially if you are someone who is in a leadership position, make the space and start making the move, and your people will really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, Liesl, again, thank you so much for being with us today. If folks are interested in connecting with you more or learning more about this workplace empathy topic, how might they be able to do that? Thank you for asking. One of the best ways is to go to my website, which is lieselmurtis.com. There's a really easy, straightforward way where you can find podcast episodes and blog posts and all kinds of things. Also, let's talk. I have a slots for free consultations for people who think, well, what would this really look like in bringing this to my company? Also, the Handle with Care Empathy at Work podcast is available on some of your favorite podcast platforms. It's really great because my guests are really great and they are vulnerable and they give you the inside look at the stuff that we oftentimes feel like we just don't have words for in the workplace and makes you a better manager, coworker, or friend. Well, thank you. Um, definitely give those a listen. Um, I'm It's on my list to make sure uh, that I, I get those going here soon. And this has just been a joy to speak with you. So thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. And I know our listeners will appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of You Should Hear This. If you have any questions you'd like answered or future topics you'd like us to explore, please send us an email at info at isae.org.